Our first lesson is Psalm 23 in Broad Scots. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, in Nocta Mawantin, in the Haws Green Gerst, does he make me lie doon, while money poor stragglers are bleating and panting, by Saflo and Burnies, he leads me at noon. When in Saha strayed far away in the bracken, and daedal till gloaming come o'er all the hills, need dribble a water my fair truth to slacken, and dark growed the next way its hard and its chills. Awa fray the fall strain fit sere and weary, I thought I had nothing to day but to dee. He sought me and found me in mountain hex dreary. He gangs by fell pass, which he kens best for me. I knew for his name's sake I'm doomed we all fearin', though clouds may if gather and sun winds blaw. Who this or who that? Oh, prevent me from spearing his will as I best, and I darna say no. The valley of death, when he flag me to thread it, through all through the darkness, a wheel can foresee. We his rod and his staff, he will help me to tread it. Then will its shadows say gruesome all flee. For falcon in presence of foes that surround me, my shepherd a table with dainties is spread. The time and the myrtle blow fragrant around me. He brims a full cup and pours oil on my head. Surely goodness and mercy, despite all my roaming, will gang with me down to the brink of the river. Ayont it nae mair o the eerie gloaming, I will bide in the hame of my father forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now the epistle lesson. <laughs> Can't tell the players without the program, right? <clears throat> In 1 Peter, in the third chapter, listen for God's word. I beseech all of you, have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing for it is for this that you were called, that you might inherit a blessing. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting of the hope within you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And from the Gospel of John in the first chapter. 
The next day, John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, or rock. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation within each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today we have a fair amount of uh, Scottish flair to our worship. In the past, uh, Westminster had Heritage Sunday in April, but in uh, 2018, it never quite fit into the calendar, so the worship leadership team decided that we would renew the tradition in 2019 a little bit earlier. However, we weren't counting on a blizzard on February 24th. <laughs> so here we are in March. While we are celebrating the particular Scottish roots of the Presbyterian Church, we do so with the affirmation from the book of Acts that God from one blood have, has made all the families that inhabit the whole earth. So we seek blessing on all people of all ethnicities, but today whether you have any Gaelic ancestry or not, everyone gets to pretend to be a little bit Scottish. One of the things that you will notice is the flag of Scotland, hanging uh, above the chancel, features the cross of St. Andrew, a saltair or X-shaped cross. St. Andrew is the patron saint of Scotland, and St. Andrew's Day in November is often marked by Scots around the world as a time to celebrate Gaelic heritage. Our Presbyterian Church traditions largely come from and through the Church of Scotland. So, as I said, while Presbyterians claim a diverse set of ethnic heritages among our membership, we still seem to need a bagpipe band to open the biannual general assemblies, as well as other notable occasions in the church. Uh, I have piped 
for visits of General Assembly moderators to Homestead Presbytery over several decades, as well as for installations of executive presbyters. And once I also bagpiped for the installation of a new president at Hastings College. But how did the name of Andrew, the apostle, become associated with Scotland? Certainly not because of any tradition anywhere that the gospel came to Scotland by Andrew, who almost certainly never left the region beyond the eastern Mediterranean. It was not until a generation after Patrick in Ireland in the 5th century that Irish missionaries led by Columba finally brought Christianity to Scotland many centuries after the death of Andrew. Tradition has it that Andrew was martyred on an X-shaped cross, and hence the St. Andrews or National Flag of Scotland is a white X on a blue field. But the association with Scotland is most likely because Andrew was a fisherman, as we know, which rendered his memory popular among early Scottish Christians whose livelihood for many was fishing. And then when the cathedral town named in St. Andrew's honor gained power over the rest of the church in Scotland, Andrew and Scotland became permanently paired. Even when the Reformation ended prayers to saints and the veneration of saints, Scotland had grown a little too fond of St. Andrew to simply discard him. But within the biblical traditions about the Apostle Andrew, I think we can glean some good reasons for a Christian community to continue to claim the example and the heritage of that apostle. In the reading from the Gospel lesson today, we have an important insight into the process by which Jesus began to gather disciples for the three years of ministry that he would conduct in Galilee and later in Judea. The other Gospels report Jesus' call to Andrew and his brother Peter, but the account on the seashore is so truncated that it almost sounds in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as if the brothers are encountered by a man who is an utter stranger, and they leave their boats and their nets and they follow him. But does it sound reasonable to assume that these men traipsed off after someone they had never ever heard of? But with John's more detailed narrative, we get a little broader view of the matter. One of these fishing brothers, Andrew, was already involved in a spiritual quest. He was, in addition to being a fisherman, a follower of John the Baptizer, a disciple. And when Andrew and an unnamed disciple, whom we might presume to be John Barzebedee, the apostle whose authority stands behind this gospel, but who's only mentioned within the gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved, never by name. So when Andrew and, let's say it was John, heard John the baptizer, a different John, declare Jesus to be the Lamb of God, they began to follow Jesus even before Jesus ever says, follow me. Jesus notices that they are trailing him and poses the question, What are you looking for? Friends, I think that is one of the basic questions of life. 
What are we looking for? What is our purpose? There's a hungry drive within us that yearns to be filled with something of value, something of permanence, something that is otherwise missing. Perhaps there are a few people who are just merely on a ride in life, passively taking whatever comes, quesera, sarah, not expecting that there will ever be anything different or anything better that one could hope for. Such people may indeed be living on the edge of hopelessness. But most of us recognize a yearning in here to find purpose for our days. Most of us, I'm convinced, are looking for something. Most of us are seekers. And wouldn't we hope to find something that will not fail us, something that will last, something that will not disappoint. I'm reminded of a story I heard about a, a Texan who was visiting Scotland. He was astonished at how small the little farming crofts of Scotland were in comparison to the vast ranches of Texas. And he found himself bragging to a Scots crofter, why in Texas I can get into my car at dawn and start driving. And by noon, I have not even reached the edge of my property yet. The Scot nodded with sad sympathy. Ah, aye lad, I had a rotten car like that once too. In the journey for spiritual purpose, the yearning for something dependable, something trustworthy, is multiplied exponentially over what we may desire in a better automobile. The good news is that God, our creator, longs to fill our hearts and our souls and our minds with precisely what we are aching to find. God knows that we're looking for hope. God is seeking us even more intensely than any of us seek for what only God can authentically provide us. The faith that we discover when we come to trust in God and enter a relationship with our Creator fills in the gaps, and gives us hope, and sustains our days with that purpose as people of faith we begin a life that, while we never reach perfection, of course, the benefits of orienting life toward faith are not beyond our grasp. A life of faith and trust is attainable. As Deuteronomy assures us, that word is near us. It can be on our lips and in our hearts. It is not across the sea that we would have to strive for it. One of the surest marks that a life of faith has authentically began, begun to transform us is when we share what we have found with another traveler on this journey of life. 
When we discover how faith in Christ has sustained us, we naturally want to take that benefit and share it with those we know. As our epistle from Peter tells us, always be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks an accounting of the hope that is within you. And that is exactly what Andrew did when, according to John's Gospel, he came, became the very first person in history to share what he had found, that Jesus was the, the one, the promised Messiah. Andrew was the first witness to share Christ, and the church honors Andrew for that. But what Andrew did is not too difficult for any of us. It is not beyond our grasp to simply let others know in word and deed that in Jesus Christ, we too have found what we were looking for. This is truly the basis of all Christian mission. It is that characteristic of Andrew the Apostle which has marked the Church of Scotland and Presbyterianism wherever it has traveled in the world. A zeal for sharing Christ, a zeal for mission. You know, when you think of the quintessential missionary, whose name comes to mind? Well, I'll tell you what comes to my mind is Dr. David Livingston, immediately. And of course, Livingston was a Scots Presbyterian. Mission to what is now Malawi. That's why in the Presbyterian Church of Malawi, there's two synods, and one of them is called Livingstonia Synod. <laughs> and some of the hospitals Livingston founded in Malawi are still operating. Our missions to China before World War II left vital Christian communities which had to go underground during the years of the Red Guards, but now they worship in public. Missions in the back country of Brazil, South Pacific, Korea, India, Southeast Asia, Alaska, all part of that great heritage. Over the last two centuries, no other denominational family has matched the record of Presbyterian mission efforts around the globe. And it's that Presbyterian legacy of missionary involvement, which is why I still think it's appropriate for our Christian community to claim the example and the heritage of the apostle who first shared his faith and his basis of hope with his brother Peter, the apostle Andrew. Amen.